Hi, this is Elisa Wynn. I'm on the team here at Second Students West, and I wanted to welcome you to our podcast today. If you want to follow along with what our ministry is doing, check us out on Facebook or Instagram at Second Students West. I hope what you hear today pushes, stretches, and inspires you in your walk. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning. Um, I am so excited to be back with you. Uh, I've been here once before, uh, a few weeks ago, or whatever. If you were here, great. If not, hey, good to see you. Uh, my name is Kobe Abram, like she said. I am on staff here at Second Baptist. Um, I work in the children's ministry right upstairs on the second floor, um, leading a thing called Jump. Now, what Jump is, is we get to lead worship for kids in first through third grade um, through singing, dancing, acting, teaching, all that fun stuff. So you see all the colorful shirts? Those are the people on my team. Hello, team. Good to see you. Um, this morning, I don't have any fun and crazy stories for you, so let's go ahead and open the Word together. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, or your phones, whatever you have, to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. Now, I'm going to give you just a little bit of context this morning as to what is going on in this book. Um, Acts is actually uh, a part of a two-volume work written by a guy named Luke. Now, Luke was a physician or a doctor um, who was also a missionary friend of Paul's. Now, we're kind of familiar with Paul. Um, and in Acts chapter 16 in particular, we're going to be jumping into a stop on what is known as Paul's second missionary journey. Now, if you don't know, uh, like I didn't for a while, admittedly, uh, Paul went on three distinct separate missionary journeys around the land. So today, we're going to be focusing in on one stop on his second missionary journey. Now, like I said, this book was written by a guy named Luke, and it's written to specifically, it's addressed to a guy named Theophilus. Now you're like, that's a crazy long name, and it sounds crazy. You're right. But just know that this letter was written specifically to this man, but as we study the Bible, we come to understand that this book was meant to be read by more than just Theophilus, um, and we have the privilege of getting to read and study that together today. So, um, in this book, you'll notice that there are some uh, identifying phrases such as we and us. Now you're like, who is we and who is us? Like I said, this book was written by Luke. Now he's giving an account of part of Paul's second missionary journey, but can I tell you something cool? He was along for the ride. He was with Paul as he toured on this journey. So when you see things like we and us, it's Luke saying that, hey, I was also there with Paul and Silas and Timothy as well. Now, in the previous passage before um, this specific passage in Acts chapter 16, we read that there was a woman who was following Paul and, if you want to call him the gang, um, around, and she was sort of heckling them. Now, context on this woman. She was a slave who was possessed by a demon. I know, a lot going on there. Sorry about it. This woman was possessed not just by some demon, but a demon who would tell fortunes. And so she would travel around this nation telling the fortunes of those who she came into contact with. And this became a source of money for her owners. Now, as Paul and friends are traveling around, she notices them and she calls out, and I'm going to read. It says, she followed Paul and the rest of us, the whole group, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. 
She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, like I said, this woman was used as a source of income for her owners. But if the spirit came out of her, the one that could tell fortunes, do you think she could tell fortunes anymore? And the whole crowd said, no. Now, I have another question for you, and call and response. Here we go. Do you think her owners were very happy that they lost their source of income? Ready? One, two, three. Of course they were not, right? And so in their anger, what did they do? They dragged Paul and Silas, those two in particular, to the marketplace to be charged in front of the authorities. Now, they made accusations against Paul and against Silas, saying things like they were throwing their city into an uproar. So I'm going to read verses 22 through 24 in chapter 16, and it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates, or the authorities, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, this is kind of intense, if you will. And you're like, of course it is. No. Let me give you some uh, context here. In these prisons, there was no um, comfy, sit-down, shackled moment, okay? You were not having a good time. Purposefully so, right? And so if I were to show you physically, these men or women who were in prison would be held up in shackles as far apart as their feet could go, hands up above them, heads down, and backs against the wall. Now, what just happened to Paul and Silas? They were what? Beaten with rods. And so their wounds were open to the rocks of this prison. And so this was not a comfortable situation. We kind of read over that sometimes, but just know that this is a very intense, very, um, it's an exercise of the power that these people had over them in this prison. Um, now, we're going to read together, if you would, look at verse 25 in Acts chapter 16. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Pause. What in the actual world is going on? If you remember, a couple weeks or several weeks ago, whenever I was here, uh, we talked about uh, trials and suffering, right? And to remain um, joyful in the midst of trial and suffering, which is easier said than done, admittedly, but this is a prime example of that for us. Now, it says they were praying and singing hymns to God. But what does it say after that? The other prisoners were listening to them. I found that part last night super, super interesting because, I mean, if they would have just left it at they were praying and singing, cool. They were having a good time in the inner cell by themselves. No. They had a captivated audience in the prison. And so these people, whether they wanted to or not, were receiving the good news of Jesus and hearing people praise and worship God in the midst of a tumultuous experience. God placed Paul and Silas in the midst of people who needed to hear this message. Now I have a question for you. Now, you're probably not shackled, as I can see right now. 
you're most likely not in a uh, prison, as I can see right now. Um, but God has placed you somewhere specific, whether it be the specific family you have, specific school you have, your friend group, this church, literally anywhere. But just sort of an inventory check for you, I want you to ask yourself as this week goes on, who is your captivated audience? Because God is very particular in the way that he does things. He's not a, a random God who has no order. He's a God of order. And so a lot of us sometimes get frustrated that, man, I wish I, was, I wish I was this place, or I wish I was doing that thing, or man, I want to be here. I can't wait to get here. But all the while, you jump over the fact that God has placed you somewhere where someone has to hear. And so you are called to share. And so as Paul and Silas are in this prison cell, something kind of uh, miraculous happens. And we're going to keep reading um, in Acts chapter 16, verse um, 25 to 26. It says, After midnight, or about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Continuing on, it says, Suddenly, there was, a, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Now I have a question for you. If you were shackled in this prison, obviously against your will, but for some sort of injustice, would you not get up and run? Would you not? Most likely, you'd get up and go, right? If the things that were hindering you were no longer physically hindering you, I, we would be remiss to say that we would not get up and run because that's what our flesh would want. But something super interesting happens here. No one gets up and no one leaves. God met Paul and Silas in their faith in this prison for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And so, like I said, everyone's chains came off. All the doors were open. There was nothing hindering them anymore. And as we keep reading in verse 27, it says, The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now pause. That seems like a, a very intense reaction, which it is. However, in this context, whenever a Roman soldier was given um, authority over prisoners, if they'd escape, they were sent uh, to be executed because they didn't even fulfill the one job that they had. And so this man knew, oh my word, the doors are open. They must have gone. They must have left. So I'm going to be sent to execution anyway. I'm just going to take my own life. But what happens next? In verse 28, it says, But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, this man, being in utter despair, thinking that his one job was not accomplished and that he'd be killed for it, heard a voice call out to him saying, don't do what you're about to do, because we're all still here. Now, I don't know, as I was studying this, I was thinking, man, why didn't they get up and go? And sort of two things came to my head. I'm like, well, if a prisoner escaped and was found, wouldn't be good news for them. Okay, so that was probably one motivating factor. But two, I would like to believe that these prisoners were intrigued as to what was going to follow 
this, this event? Why, what was happening? Why were these guys singing? What were they talking about? Now there's an earthquake going on. What the heck? So I'm just going to kind of stick around and see what's going on. And so as we continue reading, in verse 29 it says, The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now pause. What the scripture does not tell us prior to this is whether or not Paul and Silas were giving this specific man the explicit gospel of Jesus Christ. But we can gather from reading this that this man had heard enough to know his need for salvation. He heard enough to know that there was something greater than what was going on in that moment. And so what I want us to kind of zoom in on is three things. The first thing being, Christians should always have a heart full of praise regardless of your circumstance. I'll say it again. Christians should always have a heart of praise for God no matter what you're going through. Where do we see that here? We see that by Paul and Silas getting before God in literal shackles and praising him. Now, how could they do this? How could they be so uh, confident and content in who God is? It's because they had a constant gaze on Jesus. And so for you, I'd encourage you, whatever is taking your gaze off of Jesus, rid that thing from your life and replace it with your focus on Christ. Because only when our focus is on him can we look at our other circumstance and be like, you know what? It pales in comparison. It doesn't matter. It does not matter what I'm going through. God is still who he says he is. Jesus is still good. He still saved us. It's still worth worshiping him over no matter what I'm physically going through. The second thing is that Christians should be prepared to share the gospel at any moment's notice. I'll say it again. Christians should be prepared to share the gospel at a moment's notice. Because as I read a minute ago, this man pulled Paul and Silas out of the cell and he asked them a question. He says, what must I do to be saved? Their response is what encourages me. We keep reading in verse 31. It says, they, Paul and Silas, replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had, he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now, like I said, Paul and Silas's response was a massive encouragement to me. Because just as easily as they responded in faith and shared the gospel, they could have responded out of their flesh and said, you know what, same dude who put us up in here, I'm not going to share the good news with you because you've harmed me. But no, they looked past their current circumstance through the eyes of Jesus, and said, this man is seeking to know the Lord. 
and they responded in faith and shared the gospel. And as a result, this man, and not even just this man, they shared it with his whole family. So his whole family came to know Jesus and were baptized. What a blessing it is that Paul and Silas were present. And as I was studying this, I was um, sort of, okay, I'll, I'll give you context, whatever, don't judge me, it's out, I don't care. Um, I was using the potty, whatever, um, and God often meets me either in the shower or when I'm using the bathroom, washing my hands. I don't know why he does that, but he does. Um, and as I was using the bathroom, um, the Lord literally spoke to me out of nowhere, and I said, what is going on right now? Um, he said, Kobe, do you not find it interesting that I sort of preempted what I would do spiritually in the physical? You're like, Kobe, what does that even mean? What happened prior to Paul and Silas sharing the gospel? An earthquake came, and what happened to their chains? Broken, right? Was that a necessity for them to share the gospel? No. They could have shared from the inner cell, as they were doing already, singing and praising God. But I found it interesting that God broke the chains of every prisoner in there and then met with this man and broke the bondage of sin off of his life. I sat and I was like, whoa, that's kind of big, right? God is so intentional. Now, some of you in this room might be like, Kobe, that sounds great. I've been a Christian for a long time. Or maybe I haven't. I've been a Christian for a little bit of time. And I get kind of uncomfortable when I have to share the gospel. Can I be honest with you? That is normal, period. That's normal. But that is not justification for you not to do it. Because if the Bible is true, which I would affirm 100% it is true, then our command for our lives is to not only know and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ for ourselves, but to go and to share, no matter what you face in return. And some of you might be like, well, Kobe, that's great, but like, I'm not a gifted speaker. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, very, I'm not very smart. I don't really know all the things. What if they ask me something that I don't know about? Okay, well, can I give you some examples of um, people in the Bible? I'm not a gifted speaker. Moses. When God met Moses on the mountain in a burning bush, he asked him to go back to the land that he had just run from after killing someone and to confront the highest man in power. And Moses is like, whoa, chill out, brother. I don't speak very well. He says, I'm slow with speech, which we've come to know could have meant he had a stuttering problem. But then right after that, something kind of weird happens in the scripture. I'm like, why does it say this? But then I learned. It says that God's anger burned against Moses. And you're like, why was God angry? What just happened? It's because Moses, immediately upon the command that God gave him for his life, turned inward and said, but I can't do that. And God's saying, of course you can't. That's why I'm going with you. That's why I'm empowering you to go and to speak. And so when you're like, well, Kobe, I'm slow of speech, or, or I don't know all the things, God is with you, and that is sufficient. Yes, I want you to know the scriptures. Yes, I want you to be confident in knowing the gospel, not only for sharing, but for, for encouraging other believers and knowing it for yourself. But 
you don't have to know all the answers to every question you're ever going to be confronted with. You don't. You literally don't have to. Because if you and I serve the same God of the Bible, which we do, newsflash, then he is able to work through you, no matter your quote-unquote level of education. That's one thing I kind of struggle with sometimes is I'm in Bible school. It's fun. I enjoy it. If you want to ask questions about it later, I feel great about it. But um, even before that, I was like, man, I wish I knew just like all the things. I wish I could, you know, defend apologetically and like answer all the questions I'm ever going to get like ever in my whole life. And God said, Kobe, 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 Kobe. That's all great. And you can prepare as much as you want to, but there's inevitably going to be a moment where your power isn't strong enough. And that's on purpose. If you could do it by yourself, who needs God? Who needs him? God is so intentional, my word. He constantly reminds us of our dependence on him. Not to make us like, hey, lay down and be quiet and let me do all the things. No, no, no. He's saying, I'm going to partner with you in the mission that I've given you for your life. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. That's not the kind of God that we serve. We serve a God who is loving, who is near, so near it's even, it's so far past comprehension. He is so actively present in this world and in believers to go out and to share. So you're never by yourself. So don't let lies in your head or, or voices around you or whatever try and deter you from the mission that God has given you. Now, some of you in this room may not even be believers. And you're like, wait, dude, I don't even know what's going on right now. Holy Spirit, Jesus, what, what is going on? I don't know what's going on. Okay, let me tell you. There's this thing called the gospel, okay? Meaning good news. This is the best news that you will ever hear in your literal entire life. Congrats, you're about to hear it. God the God of the Bible, is creator. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth and all the things in them. And they were good. But these things called humans, hi, that's me and you. Humans came into the picture, walking alongside God in the day and in the night in perfect union. But something kind of sad happens. They decide based on a lie from the enemy that they wanted to try and be God for a minute. So what did they do? They disobeyed what God had commanded them. They sinned. They were disobedient. Now this sin does something drastic to people and to God. It separates people from union with God. Because God is holy and perfect and good, he is goodness. People who are sinful are not in relationship apart from Christ. But can I give you an encouragement? God didn't leave it there. He didn't say, figure it out, try and find your way back to me, have a good time. You can't do it. God himself took on flesh, became a man, came to earth. We know the story, Christmas time. Yay, Christmas time. He came as a baby born of a virgin, which is already a massively wild concept, 
but he lived a perfect life, which is far from any of our comprehension. But then he died. And it was necessary that he died. Why? Because in order to pay for the debt that our sin has caused, there had to be a perfect and blameless sacrifice. Now, this is new to you. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. God himself became that sacrifice, so I didn't have to? Yep, you heard it right. You see, other faiths will tell you that you have to do all the things. You have to make yourself look a certain way. You have to, you have to check off these boxes in order to be good enough to be uh, presented whatever in front of whoever. Nope. God, Jesus in particular, took on sin so that you and I could take on his righteousness. That is the best news ever. Now, if I was in jump upstairs, I'd be like, hey, kids, did God say dead? And they're going to be like, no! And that's exactly right. Jesus did not stay dead. We just came off of the tail end of Easter, which is where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now, in the Christian faith, if this would not have happened, our faith would seemingly be pointless. Because the resurrection is the contention point of our faith. Jesus' resurrection is evidence that he now and forever has power over sin and over death. And so no longer do you and I have to be identified as slaves to our sins, as slaves to our bodies, as slaves to our minds. We don't have to. And if you're a Christian, you're not. Yes, you will still fall short. Welcome to human nature. But as a believer, as a Christian, when you place your faith and your life in the hands of Jesus and submit everything you are to him, you are constantly being made new. Your mind is being made new. Your affections, your desires are being made new. They're aligning with the Bible because God has a hold on your life. Now, if you're not a Christian— this is not the story for you. Because like I said, sin separates the union of people and God. Jesus is that bridge. Jesus bridges that gap. But apart from Jesus, there's no bridge. There is a massive, massive divide. And so when I said Christians now have the righteousness of God of Jesus on them, you don't. And that is a scary, scary place to be in. It is a dark place to be in. Now hear my words. God desires to bring people to himself. But when your eyes are open to that truth, you willingly have to submit your life to God. There will be people who reject this message and who will then be sent away from God for eternity to pay the punishment of their sins, to be condemned for eternity. Christians, that's not your story. You will get to live in union with God in heaven 
forever. Forever. And so if you're a Christian in this room, I would, man, I would encourage you never grow tired of hearing the gospel ever. Because the gospel is not just for new people. The gospel is for you. That's good news. I, I would love to see more Christians encouraging each other with the gospel. Yes, we hear it a lot, sure. Why is that a bad thing? What? That is not a bad thing. That is a beautiful thing. Now, that's also not just for us. It is to be shared. And that is the command for our lives. And so like Paul and Silas, it is imperative that we get involved in the mission of God, which is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean every time you share it, someone's going to fall on their face and come to know Jesus in that moment. That's not what I'm saying. But also, you're walking in obedience to what God has called you to. And so don't be discouraged by the fact that, man, I, I, keep, I keep talking about it and nobody's— ma That's okay. That is okay. Because you're walking in obedience to what God's called you to. But you're also out here planting seeds, which is an amazing thing. So don't grow tired of the gospel. Don't grow weary, like Galatians says, in doing good. Because God has called us to. And so this week, I want all of you, every single one of you, Christians, to seek out an opportunity to share the gospel with someone in your, like I said, captivated audience. It may not be comfortable. Welcome to the game, friends. But that's okay. Walk in obedience to what God's called you to. Because if the gospel is true, which I think Christians in this room would affirm 100%, then man, why wouldn't we want to go share that? Why wouldn't we want to grow the kingdom of God? Why would we not want to invite people into this family? Why wouldn't we? Maybe, Christians, this was my story for a long time, maybe you have grown tired of hearing the gospel. Maybe it's quote-unquote not as powerful to you anymore. It's not as much of a mountaintop experience anymore. But if you have a right understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that compares to the beauty of that message. So go out and share it doesn't matter what people say. Congrats. Jesus literally promised us they will hate you. Wow, that sounds kind of tragic. Well, it's what we signed up for. Love to bring it to you. Hate to say it. You will have people who will spit in your face, look at you crazy, talk about you behind your back, think you're wild, cut off friendships, you know, dismiss you, block your phone, block you on Instagram, whatever. These things will happen, but are you walking in obedience? What has more weight to you? The way you're perceived? Or walking in obedience to Christ? I think we all know what we'd like to say. Christ, if you didn't know. 
But how many of us, if we truly had an inventory check of our hearts, can confidently say that's the case? I don't know. I couldn't answer for the whole room. You can answer for yourself. But man, the gospel is so good. Jesus is so good. And so we have to be bought in to the mission of Jesus Christ. We have to. Take encouragement from Paul and Silas. Even in their shackled physical reality, they still were praising God. They still were sharing the good news.